Hello, hello, my friends. Oh my goodness. Welcome back to Rainbow Parenting. This is the very first episode of our third season. Oh my goodness. We've been doing this for over a year now, which is wild. We have over 20 episodes out that have spanned lots of different topics at the intersections of queerness, transness, and kids in a time where that really couldn't be more timely. You all have been so incredibly patient waiting for this episode to come out. I so, so appreciate that. Mercury really retrograded on us, but I am so excited for y'all to finally be able to hear these conversations. We've really put together some awesome, awesome guests. We do have a little bit of a schedule update for you all. You're getting this episode today, and then you'll be getting another episode next week, Tuesday, May 30th, which is book launch day. We're going to be celebrating that with all of you right here on the pod. And then after that, we're going to have a very special treat for you because throughout the month of June, you're going to be getting two weekly episodes of Rainbow Parenting every week. We'll be putting those out every Monday and Friday throughout the month of June. So lots and lots of pride content to look forward to. Today's episode, we're talking about bringing LGBTQ plus history to kids and young folks. I'm talking to author Sarah Prager about all of her wonderful books and especially her newest book. It's called A Child's Introduction to Pride, and it's essentially like a child kid friendly encyclopedia of pride and LGBTQ plus history. When I got my advanced copy in the mail, I opened it and I was just completely blown away. And we'll talk about it at length in the interview. But this is a book that can sit right next to your kids encyclopedia on ancient Egypt and ancient Roman history. You know, that it's just beautifully illustrated and lots of very thorough information and just really built in a very accessible way. So I'm really excited to talk to Sarah about this book and all of her other work bringing LGBTQ plus history to young folks. But before we get into that conversation, I got a little bit of business for you. As you know, the Rainbow Parenting book is coming out in one week. Oh my goodness, just one week. You can pre-order it now wherever you like to get your books. The audiobook and the paperback are available for that pre-order, and it comes out May 30th. So pre-orders are incredibly, incredibly important for debut authors like me, and I would so, so appreciate if you pre-ordered the book. It would absolutely mean the world to me. We're going to be talking a lot more about the book in the upcoming episodes. We're even going to do a special sneak peek of it for you. I'm going to talk to my agent, Claire Draper, about the process behind making Rainbow Parenting, the book, happen. So keep an eye out for that. Just a few more quick things here. The biggest thing is that I am going on tour for all of June. I'm hitting seven cities on the East Coast and the Midwest and on the West Coast. So if you are in Portland, Maine, Portland, Oregon, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, Boston, or New York, you should head over to the Queer Kid Stuff website or to the Queer Kid Stuff Instagram page and check out those tour dates. I'm doing author events for grown-ups, but I'm also doing family performances for Pride. So you can bring the kids, bring the family along, and we can celebrate and sing together with me and Teddy. It should be fun. For those of you in Los Angeles, I am doing a live podcast recording event at Junior high LA on June 4th, Sunday, June 4th. And I would love to meet some of you in person. So please, please come out to that at junior high on June 4th. All right. 
that's enough business for now. <laughs> Let's get into my conversation with Sarah. All right, I am here with Sarah Prager. Hello and welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hello, thank you so much. Of course, I am very happy to have you. I've known you and your work for a while, but I am excited to introduce you to our friends who listen to this thing. Yeah. And before we get into all of what you do, uh, can you tell us your pronouns and how you identify? For sure. Um, I use she, her pronouns, and I am a queer, lesbian, cis woman. Wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I like to come into this work as like a whole human because we are not just our work, but we do important work. So before we get into all of that, how, how are you doing today? Oh, um, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I... Am wow. Uh I know. It, it's like a it's a small it's like a one of those like day-to-day -day questions, but you like don't think about answering it in like a work kind of sphere. I really um, appreciate that. Yeah. Like honestly, like when I connect with people in a work environment, like yesterday I just um like I had a corporate meeting with somebody mm. and we ended up just talking about like she was going through like laser hair removal as part of her transition. Mm -hmm. I was talking about how I was having electrolysis on my face mm -hmm. and stuff. And we just like connected the and talked stuff. like after like <laughs> yeah. the meeting stuff. And we had all this girl talk about like just like girl talk. It was mm -hmm. so nice. And I like talked with another mom another time. She's like, mm -hmm. I was up with my kid throwing up all night. I'm going to be honest. I was mm -hmm. like, can we just be honest? It was yeah. nice. Like parent to parent too. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. Um, I am having a good week. Good. Um, I'm a mom of a six-year-old and a three-year-old. Mm -hmm. So always that, I mean, <laughs> how are you? It's just always like, I'm a mom of a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So yeah. like, I'm tired. Yeah. Um, and I'm always like working hard on that. Yeah. Like a lot. But I'm also um, about five months into having 50% custody of them instead mm. of 100% mm. custody of them. And yeah. that is a big thing yeah and for sure so but i'm good 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 i'm glad to hear that and it's okay not to be good too but uh for sure for sure but i am good i'm I'm glad to hear that because i think it's it's just really important i think it's so easy for us to get caught up in the work and it's so important for us to remember that like we're whole humans with lives outside of this and like we're yep. we I I mean I don't I can't speak for you but I bring so much of my like day to day how I'm doing into mm -hmm. what I do and it it all is so interwoven and it's just so easy to forget and it's so easy to hide and I I want to be out there as like a full person human and I hope that other people in this That's work so do too. important thank mm -hmm. you for doing that that's like an important part of work of just changing the world for everyone to <laughs> destigmatize like mental health struggles mm -hmm. and like work-life balance especially for parents and everybody who like it's like we can't talk about these things at work that 
like we're we're all real people it doesn't need to be a secret that we turn off when we go to work yes yes and on the segue of work i do want to talk to you about your work because your work is really cool and like as we're talking about this i'm like oh your work is real people and we can get into that a lot more but um can you just like in your own words tell us what you do and why you're here yeah so i i mean i have a really flexible awesome job where i work for myself and make my own hours Mm -hmm. so it's it's a sweet gig that i um it's a dream job that honestly and that job is, by the way, full-time <laughs> writer and speaker on LGBTQ plus history. And uh, it's the best. I wanted mm. to be a writer when I was like in elementary school and middle school. And by the time I got to like late high school and college, I was like, you know, wanting to be a writer is like wanting to grow up and to be like a Hollywood actor. Like mm. that's not something you can just count on and like try to really do. It's tough for so sure. So <laughs> I decided to not try to go for it. Like I'm like so few people it actually works out for. So um, I went into nonprofit work and had nine to five jobs, um, which is something I can never go back to now because mm-hmm. working for yourself is just really nice. It works for me. Yeah. And um so I have four books about LGBTQ plus history. Mm-hmm. They're all for youth. Um, one is for um, elementary school kids. That's mm-hmm. called Kind Like Marsha. Mm-hmm. Two now are for uh, middle schoolers. I mean, they're called middle grade, but it's really eight to 12. Mm-hmm. And one is a young adult book called Queer There and Everywhere. And the second edition of that book is about to come out in June. Mm-hmm. So... You know, three of the four are collections of biographies Mm -hmm. of LGBTQ plus historical figures, just diverse collections of people from BCE through today and written in kid-friendly ways. So like the um, picture book for little kids are like two-sentence biographies. Mm -hmm. The middle grade one is one page and the YA is, you know, six-page chapters and... I fill the rest of my time writing articles for adults. Mm -hmm. I did 100 last year, 200 the year before that. and 200 articles? um, Yeah. That's wild. Oh, my gosh. Congrats. That's so so much writing. Like, at the same time um, as the books and the momming and Mm -hmm. speaking on LGBTQ plus history, I've done over 200 of those gigs Mm -hmm. um, in the last 10 years. And um, the articles are about LGBTQ plus culture, politics, health, history, everything, parenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's that's what I do. That's my work. Mm-hmm. I I love it. It keeps me as busy as I want. You mm-hmm. know, if I pitch the work, I can have it. And if I don't, I don't have to. So yeah, um, that sounds pretty sweet. And let's get into let's get into the work a little bit. So LGBTQ plus history. Where did that start for you as like an expertise? When I came out as lesbian Mm -hmm. at the age of 14 uh i started 
teaching myself LGBTQ plus history via Google. You know, it was probably like Ask Jeeves or something, some <laughs> other kind of uh-huh. like Netscape or I don't oh. know what. I don't remember like, Netscape, but I remember Ask like, Jeeves. You know, I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> what did you ask Jeeves is the question. <laughs> I, well, I was probably typing in all kinds of lesbian search terms, I'm mm-hmm, sure, Lynn. Mm-hmm. But um, lesbian history was definitely one of them. <laughs> and, um, I really was searching. I mean, it was Wikipedia kind of research, mm-hmm. but finding about like Sappho and Alexander mm-hmm. the Great and World War II and mm-hmm. Alan Turing and just all kinds of things from all kinds mm-hmm. of eras and people. But really, I started feeling like I wasn't the first person to have ever felt this way. I wasn't mm-hmm. alone. I had this large extended community, no matter how many out people I might know in person or have role models in the media, which was maybe just Ellen at the time, mm-hmm. there were so many people to look to as I could find, not in books, but on the internet. And as I looked to them, I just got this sense of having family, community, and ancestors. Mm -hmm. And it was very powerful to find things like quotes from love letters between two women Mm -hmm. and feel that sense of connection that knowing that you're not part of a fad or Mm. a new trend because it's you know it's so trendy to be like a high school girl like kissing girls for attention Mm. or um especially now you see it as a argument almost in these anti-trans bills of being like kids are confused with this new trend that popped up out of nowhere Mm. or all these weird pronoun things are this brand new idea and just in this generation. And um, when you realize how our history goes back to the beginning of human history and is older than the gender binary and Mm -hmm. we've been celebrated and honored and revered Mm -hmm. and loved and normal for pre-colonialism and around the entire world it's that's where it started for me it's Mm -hmm. just so powerful I I could never get away from that and so when you know with my ex-wife when I was supporting her through um, medical school and was like kind of the sole income provider when I was looking for like a side all these side hustles and my entrepreneurial life was starting um, one of them was creating a mobile app about LGBTQ plus history mm-hmm. and you know selling ads in it was kind of the idea of it being an income stream but it's always been a free app and still is. And tell the people what it's called. It's called Quist, Q-U-I-S-T. It's been out for 10 years now. Tens of thousands of downloads in over a hundred countries. Wow. And it shows you events, historical events from this day in LGBTQ plus and HIV AIDS history. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it connects you to this day. And the whole idea was especially for youth engagement, because instead of opening up a history book, it's kind of puts history in these little tweet 
sized mm-hmm. historical facts. And now I have a page a day calendar out mm-hmm. with um, kind of based on that idea of what a cool like, evolution of the same idea, right? Like I pitched a page a day calendar like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> what is time? Uh, with that, <laughs> yeah. Um, with that idea, it didn't get picked up then. Now with the books under my belt and an mm-hmm. agent and stuff, it did get picked up. And the 2023 is still on sale, and the 2024 mm. has gone to print is and is ah, on pre-order. Amazing. But it's called Pride, and is from Workman Publishing, mm. who does like PageAday.com. They're like the go-to. Cool. They do like the cat page a day calendars mm, and stuff. Amazing. So it's like. <laughs> Very cool. But um, anyway, it started with the app. Mm-hmm. The app took off. The app led to all kinds of opportunities, including HarperCollins approaching me, asking if I wanted to write a mm-hmm. book for teens about LGBTQ plus history. Mm-hmm. And that book opened many more doors. Yeah, amazing. And I think you were touching on this a little bit, and I want to dive into a bit deeper. Um, I like the emotional quality of LGBTQ plus history, because I feel like it's something that the queer community feels really deeply when we discover ourselves in stories from the past. And I know that like, for me, there's something really comforting about queer history. And I would, I'm curious what you think that is. I think it's knowing, I mean, you know, I used the phrase like knowing I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. So this sense of extended family, Mm. I think it's a sense of family. Mm. Seeing yourself reflected in in those people, like when I read a quote or when I see youth, when I tell them a story about like a person from hundreds of years ago who said the same thing they might say today. And it's like, this historical figure said, I don't feel like a man or a woman. Mm -hmm. And it was hundreds of years ago. It's so validating Mm -hmm. when you say today, I don't feel like a man or a woman. And it's like totally out of the context of today's culture and growing up seeing that like, cultural structure online all of that and you're like it makes you feel more sure of yourself Mm -hmm. almost to know that like independently around the world like other people came to these thoughts almost Mm -hmm. I feel like that's comforting to like make you feel even more secure in your identity Mm -hmm. and to feel like a warm sense of connection to Mm -hmm. the other people who said those things and friendship or kinship Mm. and you know it's a feeling that I get like reading Sappho's poetry or Mm. something like that and it's just it's so beautiful and um you know going and talking to like high school classes and bringing that to them or you know getting emails from the youth who read queer there and everywhere or and Mm -hmm. things like that it's that comfort of knowing that you're not alone, hmm. regardless of if you are alone yeah. <laughs> in not having community in your present day physical life, mm-hmm. you can feel a connection to these people who maybe wrote down their feelings 
Yeah, I think something that's also really interesting about LGBTQ plus history in particular is that it's been it's been so suppressed, right? It's yes. been so yes, yes. inaccessible for such a long time because of colonialism, white supremacy, all of the above. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is like still really being unearthed like as we speak. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious about your process because you have to unearth this stuff yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you have to take that, pare it down, and turn it into something that is accessible for a mass mm-hmm. audience. And then you have to figure out how you want to talk about it to specific age groups. So that's a yeah. lot of different things that you're doing mm-hmm. as kind of like an author and translator that is maybe a bit more intensive than um, folks who don't deal in history um, have a, as a part of their process. So I would love if you could kind of like take us through that a little bit, first starting with like, yeah. how do you unearth LGBTQ plus history? Yeah, uh, so many different ways. And there's so many components to it. And mm-hmm. thank you for asking. I yeah. love talking about it. <laughs> um, there are many ways. So You can read the work of other people by reading biographies Mm -hmm. that are written. You can go to your local library. Mm -hmm. And um, if you know a person already, like um, Bayard Rustin, Alan Mm -hmm. Turing, you could type in their name, find the book that's already written, and you can go to the bibliography and see what original sources they cited Mm -hmm. and go find those sources and read more there. That's a great starting point to mm-hmm. look at. And you can go online to not <laughs> good source. You can see what what did the Wikipedia article cite as a source and then go see if that source is like a legit one because a lot of times it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, they might have come from that biography and that biography might have sort of mm-hmm. cited a good place or something like that. You can start wherever you want if you if it might end up bringing you to the original legit place. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been to a lot of archives because mm-hmm. they're LGBTQ plus history specific archives. Mm-hmm. Um, I only go to LGBTQ plus specific archives. Oh, interesting. All over, including mm-hmm. like other countries and stuff. Mm, it's great. Cool. But the very cool thing is that a lot of places are digitizing their collections. Mm-hmm. So you just go onto their website and you see the scanned stuff. You can watch recordings of people who maybe told their life story to video before they passed. Mm-hmm. You can read people's um, grad school dissertations mm-hmm. where they maybe did original interviews and mm-hmm. research. You can read autobiographies that are mm-hmm. just published as books, just like biographies. You you can, or as I say, you, I'm saying this is what I do, mm-hmm. which is your question. Um, <laughs> well, but it's all, it also is putting you in the in the seat of the listener as well. And yeah, like, I mean, yeah. you should all be looking into these things because, like I said, it's so empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, or telling your kids or your students, like, this is... There are podcasts about history, mm-hmm. entire podcasts just about LGBTQ plus history. Oh, yeah. And then when you go to their, you know, the episode notes page, they list their sources. Mm-hmm. So then I, 
in my research for Queer There and Everywhere, I was just like, you know, be listening to a podcast about the person I'm writing about. I hear a really cool story. Then I can go look up the original source, see, mm. you know, did the podcaster, you know, they how they might have told it. I'm not going to cite that in a book, but I'm going to go to the original source where they got it and, you know, take it from that source. So mm-hmm. it's just following a lot of other work to back to the source sometimes and reaching out to professors and Mm. emailing people and ask people love to talk about their expertise people Mm. reach out to me and are like can you tell me more about this person and this topic Mm. and I'm like I would love to I would let me point you towards resources and things like that like Mm because I love sharing this stuff and so when someone's entire life work is about you know black trans history of the 1960s or something like that it's like and someone reaches out wanting to know more about that Mm. like they're going to be like yes this is the archive where I found this and this is the scan of it that I found when I went there in person even though it's not digitized publicly so like finding the scholar name can also help and Mm -hmm. um yeah it's a it's a really big collection of different types of sources all over the place Cool. And then I kind of like this is bringing me to kind of like two, two points of like, first, you make a really concerted effort in the unearthing of queer history that you do to make sure that you're talking about the whole world, right? And like the whole, the whole of history, right? So like Mm -hmm. making sure that you're looking back in like the 1600s, but also that you're looking in like in Africa and Asia and India and like all of these other countries that you wouldn't necessarily think to search for LGBTQ plus history. So I'm curious about, I'm guessing the digging is a little bit different. Thank you for reminding me because that was like the other part of your question that I was going to say next and then forgot because I got a little excited about <laughs> That's what I'm archives. here for. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the other thing is if you just like look at LGBTQ plus history in general, if you put that into Google, mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of the second half of the 20th century yeah. U.S. white, gay, cis, male history. Yeah. Like the standard telling of history is like beginning at Stonewall mm-hmm. and that and you're going to get like marriage equality movement. You're going to get like there's a standard way of telling it of Harvey Milk and mm-hmm. maybe Lavender Scare and AIDS epidemic. And there's a template mm-hmm. of it and it does not include the indigenous history and it doesn't include or it might but it might only be the u.s yeah so you have to also specifically say i am looking for black lgbtq plus history i'm looking for you have to say trans because lgbtq plus doesn't equal trans even though t is in it (laughs) when you get a book that says that Yep. Then you need to say, like, I'm looking for Chinese and Japanese, and I'm looking for Thai. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't have a single Middle Eastern story. I don't have a modern day African story. I don't have an ancient African story. Mm-hmm. Like, so then I look ancient Africa, trans history, ancient Africa, gay history, ancient Africa, queer woman history, and try to look for um, Egyptian, South Africa, etc. And Mm -hmm. keep searching for each of those. And you find out there's one book about 
this area, you find out there's one maybe story that has survived. And I do in these collections of biographies, I need to have stories that have enough sources to be able to tell a story in detail. They have to have been a life that had a major impact on the world to include them as like a hero, a change maker. But then once they fit like those basic requirements, it's about making a diverse mix of people, Mm. Um, not just in terms of race and gender and sexual orientation, but also era, geography, field. You know, I don't want half a book of athletes or half a book of scientists, Mm. etc. So, oh man, there's so many directions to go. When I search for all those stories, a major barrier is the sources not existing Hmm. for reasons of racism and colonialism Hmm. and other forms of oppression, less specific stories, biographies of queer African history, for example, exist because like very few specific stories of an enslaved person, for example, would exist because those people's stories were not written down as individuals because their lives were not valued as individual human beings. They were not allowed to learn how to read or write. Their languages are extinct and their oral histories were lost. They're from hundreds of years ago with any records lost. Their records were burned or destroyed if they ever existed. Why would an individual's record ever have been written down in terms of being able to have a diary or um, letters between each other or all of those things that are needed for a chapter in something like Queer There and Everywhere to be able to form an entire biography, even if you can find one individual person. Like while we know queer people existed in every walk of life and corner of the globe, it's more general and finding specific people for that format was Mm. really tough and for really tough reasons. And um, it's really affected how the trajectory of my, the author side of my career went, because when I couldn't fit some of those stories into the first book for teens, Queer There and Everywhere, I literally spent like two of the eight months that I had to write that book, trying to find this one enough sources for this one enslaved person that I really wanted to Mm. tell the story of. And I never was able to do it. So I was like, it just doesn't fit this format. So I need to write a book with a different format. And the next book was Rainbow Revolutionaries for middle graders, where I wrote one page biographies And that person is included because I had enough for a one-page biography. Hmm. Rainbow Revolutionaries has a lot more geographic diversity. Hmm. Queer there and everywhere, you know, half the people are people of color. There are a lot of African Americans, but there aren't stories from Africa. And that was not what I set out to do and was a big disappointment for me at the end of Hmm. writing the book. The second edition of Queer There and Everywhere, 
I added three stories and two of them are from Africa, including that enslaved person. And the thing that we did, which honestly, I think is a result of the activism of the years since it came out in 2017 is like, okay, it doesn't fit the format, you change the format, you Mm -hmm. like make it happen. It's like, okay, all of the other chapters are six pages this one's going to be shorter. Like at the time I was being told by my major publisher, by the current editor, it's like they all have to conform to be exactly the same. Today, this editor, I I said like, I want to do this again. I want to make some changes and I want to include this story and I want an author's note at the beginning saying this chapter is different because of the lack of sources because of these reasons. And it's going to sound different than the other chapters because there's going to be parts where the author voice comes through and says, we don't know. Mm. And that's what they didn't want the first time. It's supposed to tell like a story. Mm -hmm. And without being taken out of the story to say like, "Mm, we don't know this part. (laughs) It's in there with the, we don't know this part and being shorter than the others. Because just not telling the story is not the better choice. I think that that's like a really, really beautiful, just like illustration of where we are right now in terms of like LGBTQ plus history, but also just like culturally in our discourse, just like around inclusion and equity and how we can be transparent about like and more comfortable with the like huge discomfort of the fact that like this is a three-page story instead of a six-page story because of slavery and like i love that that is just like such a natural progression of yeah where we are right now with all of this and i'm i'm really really interested to read that because i i've talked about this a lot before i don't know if i'm on the podcast or not but um i take a lot of inspiration from mr rogers and like mr rogers neighborhood Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's probably pretty obvious in my work um but something that he was really good at was keeping the like messiness of a tv show of like production in the final edit of like showing young people that like this product can be rough around the edges because humans are rough around the edges and showing Mm. young people that like adults don't got it all together because (laughs) that's just not what being a human is and like projecting that perfection to young people can actually be really damaging. And I think that like, that's just kind of like a smaller um, illustration of what's happening here on a much larger scale of like, we're trying to perfect this history for the new folks who are learning it, because we don't want to show the humanity, the the messy sides of, of, how we've come to be these people in this time and place, right? And I think there's so much about queer history as a whole in itself that is combating that, like, perfection idea. And I love that that's getting incorporated into the telling of that history now. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy has been so, so important to me in my life. I've been in and out of therapy for a really long time since I was a teenager, and it has 
really helped me heal myself in so many ways, especially as a queer and trans person, and has been so instrumental to my ability to understand myself and to function in the world, especially with past traumas and processing those emotions and learning how to use healthy coping mechanisms in my day-to-day life. But therapy can be really hard to access. It can be expensive. It can be really hard to find the right person. When I was struggling with my mental health during lockdown for COVID-19, I turned to BetterHelp. It was an easy way for me to access therapy from the comfort of my own home when I was most comfortable. It's affordable and easily accessible and fit into my schedule. Therapy has been such an important part of my life. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I really recommend giving BetterHelp a try. It's totally online. It's designed to be convenient for you and flexible and able to fit into even the busiest schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com rainbow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot rainbow. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Today, we're talking about one of my new favorite queer and trans-owned small businesses, Queer Candle Co. They make small batch soy wax candles that are hand-poured with love. These candles are topped with a variety of botanicals, including pressed flowers, dried herbs, and zested aromatics. These candles are not just wonderful to smell, they are also beautiful to look at. Personally, I love a musky, smoky scent. So we got sent the teak and leather soy candle, and oh my goodness, it made our living room smell so good. (laughs) We also got one of their flame-free diffusers in the dark plum scent, and When I tell you that our bathroom smells so good now, like our guests are so impressed when they go into our guest bathroom. It smells so good. I really love that product and it's lasted for so, so long. And we'd never really tried a diffuser like that before. We've really been impressed with how long it's lasted and how good it smells and how potent it is. Because, you know, some diffusers like aren't actually don't actually get the scent into the air. This really, really does. Queer Candle Co. donates 10% of their monthly profits to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. So you're not just supporting a queer and trans-owned small business, you're also supporting a really important nonprofit that works for trans and queer people as well. They sell DIY refill kits online, so any candle is endlessly refillable. I think that's so cool. You can use the code RAINBOW at checkout to get 10% off your first order on their website. You can find them at QueerCandleCo.com or on Insta and TikTok at QueerCandleCo. Happy sniffing! Listeners, I'm so sorry. We usually have a word from one of our sponsors here, but there's a situation developing in the studio. It seems a large otter has somehow made its way in here and it's now standing next to my desk on their back legs holding out what appears to be several damp three by five index cards and okay the index cards read hello and good day i'm churbis am i saying that right churbis oh churbay churbay protector of the waterways I bring to you news of Nerdy Kepi, a family-owned and trans-operated clothing and home goods company from Portland, Oregon, that makes comfortable and classy pride gear that's subtle, sustaining, and suitable for work, in a variety of pride flags with sizes up to 5XL in most items. 
you can use coupon code RAINBOWPARENTING for 20% off your first purchase. Nerdy Kepi, find us at ithaspockets.gay. That's ithaspockets.gay. It's really tough to also choose in selecting the diversity of stories. Um, you don't want all the stories to end in tragedy. Yeah. Um, or to be, you don't want to get across every single person experiences violence, um, mm-hmm. oppression, suicidality, depression, yeah. etc. And to get across that this is what a life of an LGBTQ plus person always is. Mm-hmm. So like that's a factor of like I need stories of happily ever afters yeah. of dying of old age and that's another um factor not that their lives can't be messy and that's a major part of what I made sure to focus on in yeah. the telling of the stories in queer there and everywhere is their mental health their dating lives mm. their self doubt Um, And all those things, because that's how youth know that these were just people who were like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up as a teen. And then they went on to be president, things like that, because these are not the, you know, when we think historical figure, it's like they went on to invent the computer and write the, the Declaration of Universal Human Rights. And they did these things. And it's like, okay, but before that, or during that, mm-hmm. they were, you know, crying over their crush, not liking them back. Yeah. And that's the side that Queer There and Everywhere tells mm-hmm. in the biography. It barely tells about the being president side. It's not like a summary of the politics and whatever. Mm-hmm. It's the breakup really sucked and figuring out. It was like so confused about gender and then like it felt really good to figure it out but then you had to be closeted and then like the things that it's like wow like historical figures they're just like us like but you know you also asked about translating this for different age groups Mm -hmm. and there is a lot that goes into that too because you can reveal more be more graphic about those struggles yeah for teens in a way that you can't in a picture book or, and then you kind of go in the middle for middle grade. So a lot of these people, they might appear in all three books or Mm -hmm. in two of the three in the biography anthologies. And, you know, the way I tell, for example, like Frida Kahlo, the Mexican Mm -hmm. painter. I read that the other day in a story time because it's Women's History Month while we're recording this. And I was, (laughs) because I just like to interject, um, Rainbow Revolutionaries is by far my favorite of your current books because I use it all the time in story times and I can use it over and over and over again because there are 50 plus people (laughs) and I love doing it thematically and like I'll take I'll because it's super easy because they're just one page and so I can do multiple in a reading so this is just like tip to all you educators out there and other people who are doing events for young folks is that you know for this month we're recording this in March it's Women's History Month, and I grabbed like a couple of the women or like women 
esque non-binary people and like mm-hmm. uh, people who were perceived as women at the time. Maybe we'll, we'll get into that in yeah. a second. Um, yeah. And I picked a couple of those, and I was like, "This is great. We're we're talking about Sally Ride with a bunch of like five year olds. I love totally. it." And I did totally. the same for Black History Month, and I always do the same for Pride Month. And it's uh, it's just like such an easy way in to talk about real people outside of fiction which is also very important but like it's just it just hits something different and i love being able to do that and being able to hit multiple people and show like this is a different way of looking at this through an lgbtq plus like historical figure lens um Mm -hmm. so yeah um and we're gonna Hold, hold that thought on the different age ranges because okay. I want to get into one thing very quickly first. And maybe this will tie in nicely. Hopefully it's a nice segue. We love when that happens. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But there is a piece of queer history in in the finding of it and translating it that has to do a little bit with inference, right? And like putting our modern language of gender and sexuality and identity Mm -hmm. onto people of the past who maybe didn't have that Mm -hmm. language. And I'm really curious about your philosophy on that because, and in this like, you know, consistent and constant ongoing discovering of LGBTQ plus history is like, okay, maybe that person that I was taught about when I was younger isn't actually the person that I thought they were. And that's new information. I'm thinking specifically of Lou Alcott, author of Little Women, who people have essentially unearthed was probably a trans person. Right? That's like new info in the last like year or two. Yes. Thanks to the work of a trans historian. Yes. Yes. And like I loved Little Women when I was a young person and like loved Joe and was like such a like identify as a tomboy as a young uh-huh. person. And now a I'm like. queer or trans person was not drawn to Joe exactly. out of the four little women. <laughs> and I'm just like oh like it makes a lot of sense that I'm trans now. Um, and so I'm, I'm really curious about your kind of like personal philosophy in approaching that and how you have kind of looked at that in your work especially like I'm thinking of also Christina of Sweden um, who you can talk about in just a second. Christina of Sweden is like my go-to to talk about with this. Go ahead. I try in my books. I don't mm-hmm. know if every single time I got it right, and I'm actually correcting it in one place that I caught between the first and the second editions mm-hmm. of Queer There and Everywhere. Mm-hmm. My philosophy is to describe actions instead of and feelings instead of assigning a modern label in mm. the way that I talk. So I said, like I said, this person said they feel like not a man or a mm. woman. So I just say that. And so and so I just said they. So mm-hmm. if they say I feel like not a man or a woman, I'm gonna use they them pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um also gonna use whatever name they were using as an adult, mm-hmm. um, if it's different than the name assigned at birth. Yeah, I'm gonna use my best guess on pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm going to just present those facts and mm-hmm. people will of the things that this person said, the people that this person dated the things that we have records of, the things that we have no record of, like this person never married. There's no evidence that this person ever dated anyone of any gender other than their own, or this person ever presented any other way than this gender or things like that. I'm going to say those things and then not put a modern label, except in the case of if they're in the 20th century Mm. and they either self-identified that way or were 
in a time when we had those modern labels and it was very clear. So like mm. I do call Ma Rainey mm. from the 20th century, the blues singer, mm-hmm. bisexual, because she's a really clear cut case of a bisexual woman and lived in a time where the word bisexual existed mm. in that construction. Like, I feel a lot more comfortable calling Ma Rainey bisexual. And even though I wouldn't necessarily do it in a book, mm-hmm. I do in like a talk. Mm. But I wouldn't do that for somebody before her time. Well, it's, and it's really interesting, like what, uh, like the thing that it says, I mean, we can get into like a whole linguistic debate about this, but like it, it's, it's about like, what is the meaning of language now? What was the meaning of language then? Does it even matter that they identified that way? Does it matter that we identify that way now? It's even more than language because it's an entire concept of like social construction. Because mm-hmm. if a society has five genders or something like that, like to try to call them one of our genders from yeah. today that has entirely different concepts of genders. Yep just doesn't match up. And Mm. so it's the same with sexual orientations or anything. You just, you can't. But at the same time, I freaking love it when a youth who identifies with a certain label Mm -hmm. feels like a person from history would have that same label and Mm. is like, wow, that person was also non-binary. I would never be like, oh, no, no. Like, that's anachronistic and you know so you mentioned christina of sweden Mm -hmm. and for those who don't know that's a a royal from the 1600s in you guessed it sweden (laughs) and uh who was assigned female at birth after being assigned male at birth for about a couple of minutes Mm -hmm. possibly intersex um Mm. That, that's something that I infer from that. If there was yeah. confusion, possibly ambiguous genitalia, possibly intersex. So people from the intersex community claim Christina as mm. part of intersex history. So then Christina grows up and talks about um, liking boy stuff instead of girl stuff to, you know, put it in. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> I like hunting instead of painting and, you know, the equivalent of trucks instead of dolls for today. And so trans guys claim Christina and um, lesbians claim Christina and mm. lots of people see themselves in Christina from that. Then Christina also says like, um, goes back and forth between like, I like wearing dresses and I like wearing pants. Mm. Um, there are other times that Christina is like, I hate wearing dresses. Like there are quotes about all of it. And so it's like non-binary people see gender fluid people, etc. see themselves reflected in Christina. Then Christina talks about, I could, n- I hate everything about the idea of sex. I hate everything about the idea of marriage. Okay. Asexual people see themselves mm-hmm. reflected in Christina. Then Christina said, writes love letters to a woman, dates a woman, kisses a woman. Okay. We have sapphic people seeing themselves represented in Christina. They also have love letters with their cousin who is a guy but they're supposed to marry this person for like political reasons Mm -hmm. but they talk about like loving 
him for real. So we have bi pan rep here. It's like bi romantic, asexual identity going on. Modern terms. We mm-hmm. Christina would never self identify as bi romantic, asexual. Yeah. Non-binary, trans, none of it, right? I mean, Christina's story is that they gave up the throne at the age of 26, 28, because they refused to get married mm-hmm. and lived out a long, happy life um, and dated men and women and dressed in male and female clothing and, yeah, just lived a happy life, died of old age. Perfect story for Queer There and Everywhere and the perfect example of why I just use the word queer (laughs) for Mm -hmm. describing people of the past. Put that on the title of the book. It's not LGBTQ history because you can't use any of those modern terms for these people. Like Christina would not, like I use they, them pronouns for Christina. What Christina wouldn't have used they, them pronouns either. Mm -hmm. These are all just best guesses. And I mean, you have to look culturally too. Like, I don't know anything about the Swedish language, like Mm. about what kind of pronouns exist, like for Christina to have been able to use Mm -hmm. about how um gender works in all of these different people's languages like yeah well it's not just knowing swedish it's knowing 16th century swedish <laughs> yeah there you go and, the, and all the quotes that we're getting about christina are translations from mm-hmm. 1600s swedish and the same goes for all of the indigenous and mm-hmm. uh, histories that are being interpreted by someone else to then be interpreted by me there's panels of editors there's mm-hmm. and that's why sensitivity readers need to go on every single chapter that has anyone who has a different identity than me. Mm. So um, the Pueblo of Zuni was consulted on the Wiwa Mm. um, biography in Rainbow Revolutionaries, and they gave us great edits. You know, when I told that story of the enslaved person, we hired a um, sensitivity reader who is Black and um, specializes in the African diaspora and gave very light notes, but like it was important to yeah. like, I'm not going to just write that without any black voices <laughs> input because yeah. it's a, it's a white team um, at, yeah. at the publisher too. So yeah. And that's the reality of a lot of traditional media, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Um, I have a couple of things. I know we're starting to get close on time, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but there's just so much to cover. Um, I want to talk about your upcoming book that is going to be publishing, I believe, the week that this episode comes out. I will <laughs> double check that. But um, tell me, because I am super, super excited about this one. Me too. Um I mean, no offense to my other books, but it is my favorite book I have done. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is my first one that is not a compilation Mm -hmm. of standalone biographies. This is a 96 heavily illustrated color um, pages of um, a more narrative telling of LGBTQ plus culture 
and history. It mm-hmm. comes out on May 2nd. Mm-hmm. And I need to look up what the really long uh, subtitle is. <laughs> so We love a long uh, subtitle. Okay, so A Child's Introduction to Pride, mm-hmm. the Inspirational History and Culture of the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm-hmm. So this one is not just history, but I've also mm-hmm. got information about coming out and pronouns mm-hmm. and labels and all of that stuff along with the history. It's not just timeline, but it's like, what are the concepts of scapegoating mm-hmm. and colonialism and things like that? We go through continent by continent, the ancient world. We go through colonial U.S. We go through, you know, pre-Stonewall history, which is just really important to me, Um, Mm -hmm. like Harlem Renaissance and non-white history. And then, um, yeah, Stonewall, everything, like just all the history um, with lots of little stops along the way to just be like, here are some quick little call out boxes about this interesting person, or mm-hmm. um, there are a bunch of pages of just Hall of Fame. So it's mm-hmm. like LGBTQIA plus people in the arts or in the sciences or in um, media or in sports, like lifting up like really cool contributions of queer people to the world. Like, Mm -hmm. did you know a trans woman invented satellite radio or um, things like that? Lots of little paragraphs. So it's really Mm -hmm. kid friendly. Yeah. My thing that I loved about just like getting this and then just kind of flipping through is that it reminded Mm -hmm. me of the like kid encyclopedias that I had when I was a young person (laughs) on like ancient Egypt and like it made it feel so normalized to have all of this like very robust and super thorough like overview of what it has meant to be queer over time in one book that was just so accessible and easy to read and like cute (laughs) it's very cute um and i was just i was really impressed by that and like just how much you were able to pull into it to be able to kind of have this like encyclopedia of queerness for kids yeah it's i mean there's a pull-out poster that is a timeline of queer history and then really great back matter of like glossary timeline um like resources so it's part of a series from this publisher black Mm -hmm. dog and leventhal that's part of hachette and it's a child's introduction too and so it's also they have similar books that are child's introduction to like Greek mythology. And mm-hmm. just like you said, it is. It like, goes on the shelf right next to those. And I just think yes, that's so it cool. Is. They're they're all the same size and style and everything. And they have, you know, I got I got a bunch of them for my kids from the publishers. So it's like to outer space and to music and mm-hmm. to black history. And they just have um, so many. And this pride one is just going to be right in there. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so good, right? <laughs> to just yeah. have like, especially in this climate with mm-hmm. these books being banned and stuff, to just have yeah. gender and sexuality right there along with just like Greek mythology yep. and 
um, geography and everything else. And it literally says a child's introduction and saying like, Mm. this is legitimate for a child when we're being, you know, called inappropriate for children today. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the audience is really like, in explaining coming out, it's like how to come out, what to do if someone comes out to you. Mm-hmm. It's non-LGBTQ and LGBTQ and um, all the perspectives. Cool. I'm. I, I said this before we got on, but I'm. I'm really proud of you for this book. It's a Aww. really. It's a. It. This is a big deal, and I felt that as I was just kind of like flipping through it and like seeing it, and I was just like, it is a testament to your work but also like the work of like the queer movement that there there can be this kind of collection of everything up until now that can also be translated to a new generation and that like the work that you do the work that i do the work that people in our space do is all about like breaking the generational cycle that like is repressing all of that information and 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 creating those obstacles to your archival work right and this is just like a really beautiful kind of culmination of so much of that work to be able to get an encyclopedia of like queerness for kids on classroom bookshelves in nursery bookshelves in homes in public libraries and putting it right up next to like ancient mythology which is something that has like been around as a thing that's taught to young kids for a really long time right and like that this would just be like that's accepted mm -hmm. like why like greek like yeah yeah some of these things are just seen as like these are the things you learn it's like oh we need to learn you learn roman right it's like you know and these are the the western worlds like things that you learn and why not this one yeah it's like and you know, you were mentioning Women's History Month, Black History Month, and LGBTQ plus History Month has mm-hmm. been around, yep. but it's literally being criminalized to yeah. teach. And um, all our efforts to make it a thing are experiencing a backlash. But putting this on the shelf, like to make this type of history just another regular field that kids would study and know who all our basics are and to be able to create as as we're kind of founding the field of how it's taught to kids yeah to not have it be only harvey milk yep in the way Mm -hmm. that it is being started to be taught like we Mm -hmm. have a chance now to be like make sure that it includes indigenous history and like not just modern white Um, cisgender history and so I am really proud of the book and I do feel like this specific book did not exist yet and that I'm really Mm -hmm. excited to have it in the world and as my kids are getting older it's just kind of like I'm writing for them more and more Mm -hmm. like what I want them to be able to have like my most kind like Marcia the little kid book Mm -hmm. was really like for them, because I felt mm. like a book about historical figures for that age was not really around yet. Yeah. And I just really 
wanted that to exist in language for them because, mm-hmm. you know, you have to translate it into kid yeah. appropriate tellings for every age. And I wanted to share it with them. And now my kids do know all mm. those folks and um, they have the coloring pages. They're like, oh, I'm going to color in Marsha or Frida or whoever today. And they love it. Like we just have endless printouts of kind of like Marsha, um, <laughs> like coloring pages. Amazing. And, like, they just color the same people over and over, Marsha and Frida. So, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Oh, <laughs> yeah, incredible. I, I love all of that. <laughs> um, I love that you're also talking about like, like this is like the emergence of how we can do this moving forward, and that like we can make concerted efforts to do that intentionally in specific ways, and I. I really appreciate you like calling that up because I think that like, especially with this podcast, like I talk to a lot of people who are just kind of like in our field, in our emerging field of like gender and sexuality and queerness and the intersection with young people. And it's not really a field that's been um, understood, respected, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, visible for a long time Mm -hmm. and i think like because of this discourse that we're in the middle of unfortunately i do think that it's kind of coming up and becoming more visible in both good and bad ways and as that's happening and i'm kind of speaking to you but also to our colleagues Mm -hmm. of like let's do this together in a way that like will set the stage for the future of this field right um yeah And that's like a question of like, you know, we've been talking about history this whole time, but we can wrap it up a little bit of like, how does looking at history help us move forward toward the future, right? Yeah. I I mean, you need a foundation to build on for for anything to move towards the future. And what we can learn from the activism, the lessons of what worked and didn't Mm -hmm. from the past, like literally getting ideas of when these exact kind of struggles were dealt with before in cycles Mm -hmm. of backlashes and progress. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest lessons that we should be taking into the future is how what we really saw a lot in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, and continue to today, but really in history in the US was just, if the oppressed had worked together Mm. more, Mm. um, instead of discriminating against each other, Mm. meaning Bayard Rustin as a gay black man being pushed out of the US civil rights movement for being gay, Del Martin and Phyllis Lying being pushed out of the women's rights movement for being lesbian, gay people having segregated bars that were for whites only, the the white gay men who excluded Sylvia Rivera from the the activism saying like we're going to create legislation that is only for sexual orientation and not gender identity regardless of what you've contributed to mm-hmm. the activism for gay rights all of those that clawing for your own rights thinking that if you exclude another group it will help your group mm-hmm. more 
if you can get your own only, that that will benefit you instead of the liberation of everybody together. Yeah. That is a something that we have been dealing with from the beginning of the queer rights movement Mm. of not including Black queer people, queer women, trans people, everybody in this movement together. And I think it's a really important lesson. We're seeing trans people attacked more than any group within LGBTQ plus now. And if we don't all stand up for trans people, I don't think everyone fully even understands their own self-preservation, how much Mm. that is going to, I don't think TERFs even understand that, you know, women will be next or something like, you know, all oppressed people are at risk when one group is attacked. And that even if it's for your own (laughs) self-preservation, I think that is just taking lessons from history is one possible way to use this. Yeah, I agree. I think coalition building is extremely important. We've talked a little bit about this on the podcast, especially with um, Carly Manis from our first season who wrote uh, What's an Abortion Anyway? And we talked about um, coalition between trans rights movements and reproductive rights movements and um, body autonomy. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so many connections for bodily autonomy there, but yes, no, so important. And, uh, I thank you for bringing the wisdom of the past into the present Mm. and thank you for coming on this podcast. This was lovely. Thank you for all your work every day. Gosh. Yeah. I try. (laughs) We do what we can. Your work in this field and for this podcast and, um, you know, helping parents, educators, et cetera, we all need that community and support and education and everything in these trying times. But history has shown us that we all, as a community, we Mm. can make it through. What a fantastic note to end on. Now is the time to plug all of your things. What do you want people to know about? Where can they find you? Well, it's all at sarahprager.com, S-A-R-A-H-P-R-A-G-E-R. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those links are at sarahprager.com. The links to all the books are at sarahprager.com. And, you know, pre-ordering the 24-page-a-day calendar, booking me to come speak to Mm -hmm. your company, school, pride, anything is all, all there. Contact me there. I'm at sarahprager at gmail.com. So (laughs) there you go. Put it out there. (laughs) Direct line. Let's do it. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on. I so appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it as well. I hope you learned as much from Sarah as I did. She has just been a wonderful, wonderful person in the space for a long time, making lots of beautiful work. And I hope you check out her newest book, A Child's Introduction to Pride, that I am just absolutely obsessed with. All right, make sure you check out Sarah's work, get her books on your bookshelves. And if you want to sign up for our Patreon page, the Queer Kid Stuff Patreon page, you get ad-free early access to all of the Rainbow Parenting episodes. So check that out, the Queer Kid Stuff Patreon page. All right, my friends, that's all I got for now. Talk soon. (laughs) 
Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Amer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzio. <laughs>